You're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense with your host, Doug Thorpe. Here's Doug. Well, hello again, everyone. You're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense, and I am your host, Doug Thorpe. And often when I talk to business owners and creators, we hear stories of coming up with great ideas, and maybe you find yourself slogging through and having a little bit of a challenge making it happen. And occasionally, it's important to look uh, in the larger, maybe corporate world and hear stories of people that have come up with ideas, fought the long battle, and got it approved. We're going to couple that with a story of, uh, if you're a fan of Comedy Central, you may want to stay tuned here for what we're getting ready to get into. My guest today is a guy named Art Bell. Art, welcome to the show. Thanks, Doug. Great to be here. Art and I met uh, through a, a, a network that we're part of, and it turns out Art is the visionary mind behind the creation of none other than Comedy Central. And we're going to start with that story, and, and there's going to be actually another one to follow it in this episode, so hang with us here. But Art, give us a little bit of the backstory. What, what was your career about in the early days, and how did you start cooking up these kind of crazy ideas? Well, I... I loved comedy as a kid. That was sort of a preoccupation of mine, like a lot of kids, and uh, watched it on TV and everything. And when I got to college, I did a little comedy, but it wasn't really what I was planning to go into, despite the fact that some of my friends said, let's go to Hollywood. We'll be writers. We're funny guys. I said, no, no, I don't think that's me. Now, I was majoring in, in economics, so I took my first job out of school. That's funny by itself. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah, that's my dad. He thought it was hysterical. Um, anyway, I, I majored in economics, and I got a job as an economist right out of school. So I went to Washington, and I was working on, you know, pretty hairy problems for the Department of Energy and the Environmental Protection Agency, and having a great time, I have to say. It was really, really fun to be there. But at the end of two Two and a half years, I said, you know, do I really want to do this for the rest of my life, be a consultant? Uh, and I didn't. So I decided to go back to school, kind of with the idea of getting into the television business, because I'd always, as I said, loved comedy. And I thought, well, maybe that would be something I could do. So I went to business school. Wasn't much a business school about, you know, comedy or <laughs> television production, but there was something called The Follies. I was at Wharton. There was The Wharton Follies, and I ended up writing that show the second year. And it was very funny. It was a musical comedy review. And it reminded me how much I love comedy. So when I came out of school, I said, you know, I'd really like to work for a comedy channel, but there isn't one. This is the early 80s. Cable channels were just starting to pop up. You know, ESPN showed up, A&E. Uh, HBO had been around for a few years. I went to work for CBS. That was not a great place for me to be. It was, it was a huge corporate, uh, you know, company. And uh, they weren't really receptive to new ideas. Luckily, I found my way over to HBO. A friend of mine had gone there. Now, this was sort of the early to mid-80s. HBO was the place to work in the television business. It was like Netflix was. I was going to say now, but maybe two years ago. I mean, everybody wanted to be working at HBO because the people at HBO were walking down the hall saying, hey, 
our, our mission is to change television. And that's what we're going to do. And that's pretty much what they did. It's a very exciting place to work. So I figured I was in the right place. And I started talking about the idea of a comedy network and nobody paid much attention, frankly. I was um, a financial analyst, by the way. I had been hired at HBO because of my understanding of economics and econometrics. HBO needed somebody to do long-term forecasting for subscribers, you know, for their financial projections. And a friend of mine called, he says, look, you're the only guy I know in this business who knows anything about econometric forecasting. Why don't you apply for the job? I did, I got it. So I was at the right place, but doing the wrong job from my perspective. After a while, they moved me to new business development. We, we worked on a channel idea, which was for people who didn't like sex, violence, and bad language. And it was called Festival, and it was really boring for the people watching. Because when you, when you have an entertainment network, you take out all the sex, violence, and bad language. And, you know, we took it all out. There's not much, not much left. Anyway, that failed pretty, pretty quickly. Yeah. And it was around that time I said, you know what? I'm whatever I am, 29 years old. I'm just starting my career in television. I got nothing to lose. I'm going to talk to people about this comedy network idea I have. So I made an appointment with the head of programming at HBO. Now, her name was Bridget. And, and just to give you an idea, I mean, she was at the top of the UR chart. I was at the bottom. I mean, that's really what we're talking about here. But it was a small enough company that she said, okay, come on down. And I went down and I said, you know, Bridget, I think HBO has a real hold on the comedy audience. You're doing, you know, um, one night stands, you know, comedy specials with Robin Williams. I mean, you guys, HBO is comedy. I, I really think we should start a 24-7 all comedy network. And she said, stop right there. That's a terrible idea. And I'm going to tell you why. And she spent the next 15 minutes telling me why it was a terrible idea and why HBO would never do it. They'd never get the comedians. What comedian would want to be on an all comedy network? Their managers would never let them be on it. You'll never get the A talent. You know, she went on and on. Then she told me I didn't know much about television, but thanks for dropping by. <laughs> and I left. <laughs> and I was kind of uh, upset for about a minute and a half. And then I thought, nah, she's wrong. Somebody's going to start one. I thought it might be us, but, you know, if it's not us, it'll be somebody else. Anyway, went back to my office, and I didn't have much to do at that point. So I started writing up my idea for Comedy Network with the idea of sending it out, stapling it to my resume. Again, I'm young and fairly stupid. And I, I you know, thought I'd just send it to CBS and, and, and uh, you know, Universal and Warner Brothers and all the big companies, see if anybody liked it. Before I got to that point, my boss's boss came by and he said, what are you working on? And I said, eh, just this idea I had. So he took a look at it right there and he said, you know what? I think the chairman of HBO should see this. Now, if you thought Bridget was scary, the chairman of HBO had just been chosen as the most powerful man in Hollywood. He was on the front page of the New York Times Magazine. I was the least powerful man in Hollywood. I wasn't even in Hollywood. Anyway, so my boss's boss, he said, come on, let's go see Michael. Let's go see him and tell him about your idea. I said, what, right now? 
I had no presentation. I hadn't prepared for it, you know, and I, the thing with Bridget went so badly. I, I was kind of nervous. Kind of doubtful a little bit, right? Even though you liked it, but wondered but you know what? where the truth was. Again, think about it. Just think about that moment where someone's dragging you into the chairman's office and you've got no idea how this is going to go or what you're going to say. But I didn't say no. I did not say no. I can't do it. I'm not going. Any of that stuff. We went in. Michael said, what the hell do you guys want? You don't have an appointment. <laughs> and that was true. Um, so we sat down and, and my boss's boss, his name was Larry, said, Art's got an idea. I think you ought to hear it. I pitched the idea. And I think it was at that point where I decided, okay, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to get excited about it. I'm going to get, I'm going to really show some passion here because I knew Michael loved comedy. Michael Fuchs, the chairman of HBO loved comedy. And if I was going to get it done there, I was definitely in the right meeting. So he pitched my little heart out. And at the end of the meeting, he said, well, sounds interesting. Ask me a few questions. And then he said, okay, why don't we give it um, a few months, do some tests, do a demonstration reel, run it by the, the advertisers, run it by our sales guys, you know, see what we got. And then maybe we'll launch the thing. And that's how it got started. Wow. And that first little pilot window turned into what? Well, we started as Comedy Channel. Now, you got to remember, I did not know anything about the comedy business. And they teamed me up with a guy named Stu Smiley, who was the head of comedy programming at HBO. Now, he'd been in the comedy business for 10 or 12 years. He knew everybody. He knew the managers. He knew the comedians. He knew the business. And when I met him, the first thing he said to me was not, hey, Art, how you doing? He said, what do you know about comedy? And he didn't say it in a nice way. Yeah. He was a little edgy about the whole thing. This was a guy who was not going to take me under his wing. I think he was a little kind of peeved that I pulled him out of his office for this new project that he didn't particularly need. Anyway, we eventually got along. We put the thing together. Um, and it took a lot. And we launched as Comedy Channel. Well, I mean, there was an interim step. We did all the things Michael wanted. We did the research, which you have to do. Find out about your audience. Is it there? Find out about distribution. We talked to cable affiliates. Is this something you'd pay for? They said yes. Um, we talked to the advertisers. They were very excited. As a matter of fact, you know, we talked to all these people, and some of them were so excited, like the movie studios, we had to talk to them. And they said, can we get a piece of this channel? It sounds like a great idea. And we kept saying, no, no, this is HBO's baby. You know, we're not selling equity. So we get the whole thing together. And I give a presentation to top management. Michael says, I love it. I want it on the air in six months. Six months later, we launched. A week after that, we got the worst reviews of any television entity, show or channel anywhere in the universe. It was a bloodbath. It's not funny. What is Michael Fuchs thinking? What is HBO doing? They don't seem to know anything about comedy or a channel or any of this. What, what are they, crazy? Now, I think a little bit of it was payback to Michael, who was dialed that back to the most powerful man in Hollywood. So to see a powerful guy like that not come out of the, come out of the gate, you know, with a huge success that first day, 
The press loved that. <laughs> but you know what? It was hard. It was hard for all of us. It was hard to keep going. And every day for the first probably six to eight months, I went to work assuming they were going to shut us down. You know, we weren't getting very far. You know, the advertisers weren't climbing on. The distribution was tough. We were in about two or three million homes out of what? 60 or 70 at the time, 70 million homes. We had no distribution, which meant no advertising, no revenue. And we're spending a lot of money on this comedy network, right? So it was a little bit disheartening. It was a little bit disheartening at the beginning. So a couple of thoughts. So number one, as it started going live, because Michael embraced it, uh, back to the lady you first presented it to, what, uh, what did she do over Bridget. all that? Bridget, yeah, that's yeah. a great story, actually. You know, one of, the things, one, of the, one of the things that happened at that meeting where I presented to the top management, there were about 25 people in the room, you know, all the, all the senior executives at, H, at HBO and Michael. And I gave my presentation with financials and, you know, the programming plans and everything. Went pretty well, I thought. And instead of Michael just standing up and saying, okay, I love this thing, let's get it on the air, because that would be what I would have expected from him, he did something really unexpected. He went around the room, starting with the person next to him, and he said, hey, Larry, what do you think of this idea? And Larry was kind of on the spot, and he said, I think, it's, I think it's great, you know? And then he went to the next person, and he got to Bridget, and he said, Bridget, what do you think of this idea? And she said, Michael, I think it's wonderful. <laughs> and that was that. Now, listen, I often thought back on why did Michael do that? Because it was kind of an odd thing to do. And he went to all 25 people. It took him a while. He did it because he didn't want to start another company in the channel. I mean, in, at HBO, another channel and have people start grumbling that, and eh, I didn't think it was a good idea in the first place. I'm not going to help. I told Michael not to do that. You know, all those things that naysayers at a company will all say. All that infighting that can happen. Oh, man, it could have gotten ugly. But yeah. Michael, he laid, he laid down the carpet right there. He said, okay, guys, you step on the carpet, you're on the carpet. You're part of the team. You know, and I don't want to hear anything. He didn't yeah. have to say that, by the way. Yeah. He didn't have to say it. No, no, Everybody no. knew it. It Everybody was obvious. Knew it. And you know what? It went a long way. People, people were helpful. Even when, even when things weren't going well, people were supportive. And part of, part of my job was to keep, keep the enthusiasm up among not only our staff, and we had 400 people working on the channel at that point, but among the HBO uh, employees because they were backstopping us. I mean, we were using their financial department. We were using their legal department. If they weren't on board, we were sunk. Yeah. So how long was it on air before returns started going favorable? Well, you know, let's, let's think about that question another way. Um, when did you know the channel was not going to be a failure? <laughs> okay. <laughs> because, you know, it takes a long time for, for channels or any business, as I'm sure your audience know, uh, to become successful, to make money. Just there's a long runway, especially, listen, in those days, now you can put a channel out of your, out of your garage. 
it's all digital, you know, you got, actually, that's what you're doing now. You got a mic and a, and a camera. You're on the air. Yeah. In those days, you needed satellite infrastructure. You needed to rent satellite time. You needed, you know, we had a big satellite com- uh, um, dish network, basically, across the country to receive the kind of signal we were putting down. You don't need that anymore. But then it costs a lot of money. So obviously, you're in for a lot of capital before you get started. Yeah. And that made it even scarier. Yeah, yeah. I knew it was going to be successful before we launched. And the reason is, when I imagined the channel, I said, this is going to be a place for comedy. This is, this is going to be a place that celebrates comedy. And we are, going to, we are going to end up attracting great comedy from all over the place. It's going to start coming to us. Before we launched, we got in the mail something from a group in Minneapolis called Mystery Science Theater 3000. Now, some of your audience may be familiar with it. It became our first big hit, but it was, it was a show where they had three robot comedians, basically, in front of a movie making funny remarks. And when we saw this, we just said, oh, my gosh, nobody would put this on the air but us. We're going to make it, you know, we're going to put it on television and yeah. it's going to be a hit. And it was a hit. It was a hit among like, you know, 18 to 25 year olds, almost interested, almost immediately. And that's what happened. The channel started picking up an audience among the younger male demographic. And guess what? That's a tough demographic to get. So suddenly we're popular with advertisers, even before the audience was big enough. They just said, wow, you're getting guys? You're getting young guys? That's sports and news. You know, and even news, they don't watch news. We'll buy young guys. And we started charging a lot of money for it. Yeah. That's great. So how long did you stay with the channel? I was there for eight years. Okay. And, and, you know, there's an important um, thing that happened along the way. We got competition. And that is something that you always kind of worry about, but you never really expect it or see it coming. And we didn't see it coming, you know, because we knew it was expensive to start. How much pushback did I get on the idea? We figured who else is going to be crazy enough to do it? Yeah. You know who else did it? MTV Networks. Mm-hmm. They announced when we announced, they announced a day later, and we'd been working on the thing for six months before we publicly announced it. Day later, they announced they were going to launch a channel called Ha, the comedy channel, and it would be um, 24 hours of comedy. And there we were going head to head for advertisers, talent, affiliates. It was it was ugly. Mm. It was ugly. Yeah. And the yeah. end of the at the end of the year they merged us. That's what happened. Hmm. Do you think there was a leak that allowed that to happen? I mean, did somebody <laughs> hear the jungle drum or no? There's a great story I tell about um, MTV networks. They, especially in the early days, these guys were nothing but c- competitive, and they were good. They had Nickelodeon, they had MTV networks. I mean, MTV, the channel. They had VH1. Now you know how VH1 happened. Ted Turner announced he was going to do a a video channel to compete with MTV. The next day, after Ted's announcement, MTV Networks announced that they were going to launch Video Hits 1 because they didn't want Turner coming in. They did the same thing with us. We worked on the network for six months. We were going to launch in a few months. Michael had a big press conference in LA where he's telling everybody how great the channel is going to be. And I'm sitting in the back of the room going, Hey, 
you know, don't oversell this thing. We got to get it together and launch, you know? Yeah. But he oversold it because he's in show business and that's what he does. Yeah. The, I'm, I'm going home on the plane. I pick up a newspaper the next day and MTV announces they're launching a comedy network. That's wow. how quick it happened. They had nothing but a press release. Wow. It speaks uh, volumes to, to their mindset about growth and competition and everything. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. they were, believe me, they were the best. And we were nervous. Why? Because yeah. they weren't just some punk kids with it, you know, around the corner. Yeah. These guys were successful cable television programmers. Yeah. They were great. Yeah. Yeah. And we knew them, by the way. Well, Art, as uh, is all good form in uh, television and, and radio, we're going to uh, take a quick commercial break and plug a message in here. But uh, when we come back on the second half, I want to hear the other, uh, I guess I'll call it the sister story to this. There is one. We'll get into that right after this message. Business is all about solving complex problems as fast as you can create them. Become the best problem solver by leading others to greatness too. And the first step is going to DougThorpe.com. DougThorpe is known globally for coaching entrepreneurs and business leaders, improving their performance and the work output of everyone surrounding them. You can find health, wealth, and happiness by learning to lead others to health, wealth, and happiness. Go to DougThorpe.com now and order Doug's books or hire him to coach your managers. That's Doug, T-H-O-R-P-E.com. Well, hello again, everyone. We're back. And today I'm visiting with Art Bell in the first half. If you missed it, we were talking about the creation of the channel known as Comedy Central. And uh, Art was the uh, original brains behind all that, at, at, at least uh, championing the idea. And I, I want to tell you, while we were on the break, we were talking a, a little bit about this. And I, I think um, Art raised a good point for me. You know, when we think about entrepreneurship, we usually isolate that into the small business arena and, you know, people coming up with an idea, they, they crank it up in their garage or in a shop somewhere. And then next thing you know, they've got a business. But um, Art reminded me that, you know, a lot of big business now is encouraging employees to think like entrepreneurs. And bubble up ideas and, and bring ideas together. And, and as was his story in his case, there was an executive named Bridget that uh, didn't like his idea when he first bubbled it up to her following the chain of command. But fortunately, he had a direct boss who heard the idea and thought otherwise and was willing to stand behind it and take it up to the chairman. So, um, it's always uh, an interesting aspect of that. So, so Art, uh, tell me more about your, your thinking along that line. Yeah, starting a company inside a company is not unusual. And uh, in the early 90s, they gave it a, a name and it's intrapreneurship. Mm -hmm. There's an intrapreneurship institute now. And they train mid-level employees on how to think like entrepreneurs. The reason companies are paying for them to get that kind of training is they want to hear from their employees when they have a good idea. They, they don't want it buried and they don't want the employees taking it somewhere else. They want to hear about it. And so they want to train their employees on how to start their, that, a business based on their idea inside a business. And, and let me tell you, you know, being an entrepreneur, you know, we, we, we read about the, the small percentage 
it's very hard to, to, to do, uh, to become successful. We read about Google and, and, uh, and Apple and all the other ones that have became hugely famous and rich. Um, but there's a lot of, it's hard to do. And there's a lot of failures. It takes a lot of persistence and a lot of money raising and all the other things. When you're in a company, some of those troubles are behind you because you've got infrastructure. You've got, in our case of comedy, we had a finance department that already existed for HBO. We just relied on them. We had legal. We had people who knew about programming. We had salespeople. We had the infrastructure to start a new business. And that's the advantage of doing it that way. The disadvantage is companies don't always want to take those risks. So depending on where you are and what the idea is, you may have to work a little harder. And man, I'll tell you, companies hate failure too. Oh, yeah. So it's yeah. got to be orchestrated a little bit. It's got to be orchestrated. But if you've got somebody behind it and you've got somebody with a, you know, with a vision, and that's very important. I always talk about the two things that got me through, vision and passion that, um, you know, you got a good chance. Yeah. Well, and those of you listening here who are regular followers of my show, you know, I'm, I'm big on advocating uh, leaders, creating vision and, and definitely staying in tune with your own passion for the things that get you excited and get you up in the morning and, and want you to get out there. Now, so Art, you, you, you spent eight years there uh, with the, um, Comedy Central channel before it, I guess, morphed and migrated, and you moved on then to do another show. What uh, what was that about? Yeah, let's just pause on the whole moved on thing. That was <laughs> that's called getting fired. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, I got fired from the channel I started, which um, you know was a, a tremendous disappointment in so many ways. Um, and the reason was they brought in new management. I was, I was the head of programming and marketing. And the new guy said, hey, you got your fingerprints all over this place. Uh, I can't have you here. <laughs> so that was the end of that. Um, and uh, I had to sort of reinvent myself a little bit. So I ended up working for a, uh, as a consultant for a bunch of different channels in, in, uh, in New York, um, including A&E and uh, PBS. Children's Television Workshop that did uh, Sesame Street. And I learned a lot more about starting channels and running channels. Then I got a bunch of job offers uh, about a year and a half later. And I chose the one that sounded like the hardest. It was a channel called Court TV, which had been started by a, a guy named Steve Brill, who was a magazine guy. He was a lawyer and he, he started a magazine called American Lawyer, which became very successful. And he decided his vision was that he wanted to put courtroom trials on television because he thought they were interesting and dramatic and everything else, which they are. So he did that, but he wasn't a television guy. It was invested by, it was owned by NBC, by the way, and Liberty Media, which is a big media company. Um, and after a while, it turned out they weren't getting an audience and they weren't getting any advertisers and they were spending a lot of money on it. It was really a failed channel. But instead of closing it down right then, they said, all right, we're going to take one more shot. We're going to put some new management in there and see, see what they have to say. And so I got a call from a guy named Henry Schleif, whom I knew, 
from HBO, but I didn't, I didn't know him well, but he was there when I was there. And he said, look, you know a lot about cable television channels. I'm going to hire you. Your job is going to be make, to make the channel successful. And my job is to do everything else. And that's pretty much how we divided things up. Um, but we started from scratch. And I knew the channel was not going to be successful the way it was programmed. Because courtroom trials only go live during the day. They shut down at 5 or 6 o'clock. So we had to figure out what to do at night. And what they were doing at night was rerunning the courtroom. And man, that wasn't working. So I said, okay, you know what? We're going we're gonna to take this instead of just being about the justice system. We're going to be about the criminal justice system. We're going to look at cops and detectives and forensic investigation and mysteries and, you know, how all that works in, you know, in a documentary style. And that's what we did. And I got a lot of pushback, a lot of pushback. Not so much from my boss, because he was, he was kind of relying on me to figure out what to do. But first guys who pushed back, the advertising sales guys. <laughs> we'll never yeah. sell it. Now, let me tell you about ad sales guys. And I'm sure all of the people out in your audience who've worked with the ad sales guys or are ad sales guys know that ad sales guys are great at saying, can't sell it, got to change the product, can't sell it. And that's not always true. <laughs> and I had to convince the ad sales guy that it wasn't true in this case, that we could figure out a way to dress this up so it wasn't gritty and dirty and criminal. I mean, look, look where we are today, where the most popular podcast outside of yours is, you know, there are about crime and justice, yeah. you know, they're, they're, they're basically crime shows, true crime shows. True crime is a huge, huge business now. Back then, it wasn't such a big business, and people were afraid of it. But I didn't have a better idea for the channel. So, And I thought we had a good start. So we took that on. And to make a long story short, it became very successful in a very short period of time. Why? Because that stuff is watchable. People want to know about crime. They want to know about how crimes were solved. They want to know about how detectives go about their business. And I met some of the most interesting people I've ever met in my career. Policemen, detectives, scientists, you know, the people who really work to keep us safe. Not oh, to mention, yeah. you know, the judges and lawyers. Every right. lawyer in the country, I always said this, every lawyer in the country who didn't want to be a lawyer and wanted to be on TV found me. <laughs> <laughs> And pitched me on the next great law show. Um, but it was a great time and it was really successful. We went from 20 million subscribers when I got there and we were going south to 80 million subscribers when I left about wow. seven years, eight years later. It got bought by Turner Networks. Once again, I was out of a job <laughs> um, for being successful. I always like to say it that way. I was successful. So somebody came in and took over. Yeah. Um, and that was, that was my last television channel. I went on to different things. I stayed in the business, but. Yeah. Well, that's fascinating. And like I said, at the start, I've, I think it's important. And, and the real message I wanted to zero in on is the notion of coming up with an idea and believing in it 
trusting it, knowing that there's opportunity and, and then going for it and, and fighting whatever battles you have to fight to, to make it happen. And even if you get the doors open, so to speak, you, you may face an uphill battle to get the, get the return on it that starts to look like it's going to be a success. And it's, it's that sort of grit and determination that really makes the difference in the long run. And, and you know, it, no doubt it doesn't hurt to align with some, you know, a, a good team and the right people along the way to, to make it come together. Well, let's go back to the comedy central story a little bit. Were there any detours or pivots along the way that as you got into it and you kind of really learned the, nuts and bolts of making that happen did you did you have to create a new course or a, take a turn a detour somewhere along the way let me tell you doug we reinvented that channel every day especially in the early years we had to i mean i went to work every day saying okay how can we do more of what's working and less of what's not working that's how i looked at it as far as pivoting goes Listen, I, you know, I can tell you stories of things that went wrong before we launched that nearly put us out of business. Um, can, you know, and, and this might be a good time to mention my book. I wrote this all, uh, the whole story with um, names, dates, and places, which is not the interesting part. But, you know, with all the, the hardships we faced and all the times we almost failed, um, I wrote a memoir about it. It's very personal my view of the situation and it's called constant comedy how i started comedy central and lost my sense of humor and <laughs> it's i think it's not i think it's a good read if you're interested in how these things get started and not only how they get started but how they end up becoming successful against the odds you know as i said we had competition before we launched we had a big problem with our programming and about 90% of the program we pulled together, we couldn't use in the first year. You know, things went wrong constantly. And things went wrong to the point that people said, oh, that, well, we're out of business. No, we were never out of business. We always looked for a way to stay in business. And then, you know, minor adjustments. We found that stand-up comedy was very popular. We, we turned that up. We did more stand-up. We did some original stand-up that we weren't planning to do. Um, we took anything that was working and made it bigger. And we also took a lot of chances. One of the big chances we took, and this is going to sound kind of wacky now, but we, somebody came up with the idea in 1992 to cover the State of the Union Address, you know, the, the actual State of the Union Address that the president gives in front of Congress. And the idea was to cover it, but to actually run some commentary over the address that was funny. And we got a couple of comedians to do that. We produced the show and it was terrific. By the way, one of the comedians was Al Franken, who went on to become a senator. But at that time, yeah, I know. Yeah. And then he went off to become a Saturday Night Live writer and all that. He was a Saturday Night Live. He was one of the bigs yeah. at the time. Yeah. And we were lucky to get him. Oh, and yeah. I tell a story in my book. I'll tell it real quickly. Quickly. Um, he was doing live comedy at Saturday Night Live. So we figured, okay, great. He's going to do this you know, live. So we were at rehearsal about an hour before we were going on. And the producer said, okay, everybody get ready. We go live in, you know, in an hour. And Al says, wait a second. 
What do you mean we go live? We're doing this live? I thought we were doing it live to tell I'm not going out there live. And he walked out. <laughs> we were about to go on the air. We had a, the entire crew and the other guys who were on the show looking at each other saying, now what? Luckily, we had a brilliant uh, uh, vice president of talent, Lori Zacks, went on to become one of the great television producers in Hollywood. Um, she ran after him. I don't know what she said to him, but she got him back. And it went on to become a great success. And I remember that the Los Angeles Times the next day said, you know, these guys at Comedy Central, I mean, not guys, I meant people, it's guys and women. The people at Comedy Central are really doing some interesting things. They're really figuring it out. They did what they did yesterday was breakthrough comedy. That's what you wanted to hear. Yeah. And yeah. we weren't going to get that by just, you know, doing stand-up comedy five nights a week, seven nights a week. You got to take chances. Yeah. And if things don't work, they don't work. I believe me. And in, 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 certainly in television and, and movies, things don't work lots of times. That's the business. Well, I, I think any business that deals with, um, I'll call it performers, and, and specifically what's going through my mind right now, um, I originate out of the Houston area, and we have this huge world-class medical center here. And when you get in the uh, large hospital environment, you got specialty clinics and you got all these doctors you want to attract that have high value reputations in their field for their expertise. And, um, you know, the stories you hear out of that environment aren't too different from movie stars. And I'm sure A-list comedians, you know, they're, they got personalities, you know, that go with the thing. And you, you try to put them in a box and say, here's what we need you to do. And here's the schedule we'd like you to follow. And next thing you know, they're saying, no, <laughs> I don't do that. <laughs> you, 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 you get me when I tell you, you get me and that's what we do. And you know that, and uh, if you're leading that organization, you've, you've got to be really nimble on your feet in the way you um, like whoever the, producer lady was that went after Al Franken and talked him into doing what he needed to do in the next hour. That uh, that's well, what I'm you know, talking listen, about. You're, you're talking about a very interesting concept and that's called talent. Sure. Yeah. The doctors are talent at the hospital. So are the nurses. I'm not trying to leave anybody out. Yeah. Um, as opposed to the administrative staff and everybody else. And we had the same, you know, we obviously had the same thing in the, in the uh, entertainment business. And sometimes the talent can be um can be tough to work with yeah but they're the talent and as it was explained to me and i had to learn this a little bit you don't tell them what to do and and think that's going to work all the time you know because as as it was explained to me they're the guys who walk out on stage they're the guys who put them their face in front of the camera in front of millions of people they're the guys on the line we're not yeah. and we have to be we have to be cognizant of that it's the same thing with surgeons, you know, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Anybody that's really in that. And I, I also, as I've heard your stories, I was quickly going through my video archive in my brain. Uh, I had the privilege while I was in college to work in the uh, organization we had on campus that did uh, all the concert promotions 
all the big name bands and entertainers we would bring to campus. And uh, we had a wide variety of shows we did, but it ranged anywhere from um, Elton John and the Eagles in Chicago and Sonny and Cher back in the day. Wow, you got uh, better bands than my my college got. <laughs> and uh, and and doing those shows, we had those tenuous moments. You know, you your five minutes to count down on to go on the stage, and you know the dressing room door is still locked, and, and the entertainers on the other side, and it's like, hey, dude, it's time to go, and it's like, no, don't think so. And, uh, you know, we had those moments as well. And so, yeah, a lot of memories and a lot of fun and a lot of learning out of that in in terms of solving business problems. Oh, man, there's nothing like live television or live events to keep you (laughs) keep you focused on how to solve problems because they come up every 35 seconds. Oh, yeah. You know, something's always going wrong. Something. But that was that was. um that was part of the fun. And again, in my book, I talk about a lot of the funny ones and a lot of the not so funny ones. Yeah. Well, definitely a good read. So speaking of that, Art, tell people uh, the best way to get a hold of you. Is there a website or a link you yeah, want to go share? To my, go to my website, artbellwriter.com. Uh, and then you can find out where to get my book. I did the audio book where I narrate it. So if you enjoyed listening to me for the last 45 minutes and want seven or eight hours more, you got it. Yeah. Um, just go to uh, that's that's on Amazon uh, audiobooks. And, well, we'll, um, oh yeah, any yeah. others? Any other you want to share? No, I. You know, the best place to find my book is on on Amazon. Okay, and uh, it's in electronic form. It's the hardcover. The um, the paperback is coming out in December. That'll be a big moment for me. I'm excited about that. The more people who read this book, the happier I am, you know, and it's, it's oh, yeah. really about, it's really about what I think people can get out of it, which is an understanding of how to make it work in business. And it's hard. Yeah. Yeah, definitely is. And uh, I'm sure there's a lot of great details and backstory to the whole evolution. And, you know, when you, when you think about what I'm going to call a, a national, if not global brand, like a comedy central you think about, you know, where that came from and what it took to get it there and, and, and make it work. Um, it's a great business story. It's a great life story of uh, leaders like yourself stepping up and um, doing the work and making people join the team and having uh, everything come together. So uh, thanks for sharing all that with us, Art. It's been no, very, thanks for having very me, helpful. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed I'm, it. I'm going to invite everybody to uh, remember that if you're listening to this on your favorite streaming service, that uh, we also will have this over on our YouTube channel by the same name. If you want to look at the video of uh, the time that Art and I have spent here talking and uh, hop over there, leave us a comment, leave us a like or uh, any other feedback you want to share. Look forward to hearing from you. And for now, I'm going to sign off and tell you thanks for listening. And we hope you found this helpful. Come back again. We hope to see you soon. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense, hosted by Doug Thorpe. If you would like to know more about the coaching and advisory services he provides, visit DougThorpe.com.